Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Documentary Photography Review Podcast. My name is Chris King and in this episode I am talking to Anna Uish, a documentary and editorial photographer from Catalonia, but now living in London. We talk about Anna's experience of collaborating with journalists on documentary projects and the struggles to get work published once completed, as well as her approach to portraits both in her editorial work and documentary storytelling, and much more. Anna has done a great job of finding her niche and developing her own style and approach to creating work, all of which we discuss in some detail. One of the key things that I got from this interview was the need to be open to random encounters and the experiences that might unfold as a consequence. As you'll hear, it was a random encounter in a pub in London that led Anna to Pakistan, where she shot her Gemstones project, which itself led to other projects and many other positive experiences. Show notes for the podcast can be found at documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash interviews and then navigate to the page for this episode. So without further ado, here's my interview with Anna Uush. First of all, if you wouldn't mind uh, just introducing yourself and sharing a little about your journey into documentary photography. So my name is Anna Gonzalez Ushmiro, which is the longest name ever. Um, but I go by Anna Ush because it's a lot easier or not, but because it's difficult to pronounce. <laughs> but I started my journey, I guess, like started studying media studies in Spain. In Bar- I'm from Spain. I'm from Barcelona. I was born in Barcelona. I grew in a little city um, right next to the French border. I studied media studies in Barcelona, but I never liked it too much because it was more focused in advertising. So I had like some troubles with um, art directors when I started to sort of intern and stuff like this. So I decided then to study photography. So what I did um, was I moved to Paris, um, where I started. Start, I started studying at Parsons. They have a little school there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after two years, I transferred my curriculum to the New York School, well, the school in New York. And then I graduated there. I learned a lot in in New York. I mean, it was amazing. My teachers were super inspiring, um, and I had a really good time. And obviously New York is like full of like very talented people, so I learned a lot. And there I sort of assisted like really different um, types of photographers. I was really interested in like really learning all sorts of things. So I started inter- like assisting for like commercial photographers and I thought that was very good because I learned um, how lighting really works and everything. Um, I started assisting um, document- amazing documentary photographers like Kyoko Hamada, who has a show now in Poco Gallery here in yeah, London. Okay. Um, or Juliana Beasley, who's done like um, an amazing work, documentary work on the Rockaways in New York. I then also worked for some, like for the Yes Men, as I was telling you, um, who are an amazing artist, activist, sort of like, um, group. And then I moved back to Barcelona. I spent two years in Barcelona in which I was like, mostly like doing shows and selling my work. I wasn't doing a lot of editorial work. Um, I was working in some like um, documentary series, like portrait series about this little girl, um, about a tradition in Spain that's called Fallas. So these little girls who dress in this pretty crazy traditional customs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved here after two years. I had never been in London. 
Um, I had never been interested in like moving to London. But my friend happened to have um, a free room and she told me, you know, I know you want to move out from Barcelona, do you want to come and check it out? And so I decided that I would come for a weekend and if I liked it, I would move. I, a lot of times I do things this way. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think I should, like, I don't like to think too much about like taking big decisions uh-huh. um, If they don't work, you can always go back to what you have. So I think it's good to just like follow your heart. And so before coming for that weekend, I sent my work to several picture editors here thinking that no one was going to reply, but they did. Right. Actually, when I was like taking the, the, the flight to get here, I got a, an email from Hannah Brensley, who used to be the picture editor at the Independent Sunday magazine, the New Review, and who, who gave me a job for one day. So huh. I thought, this is a sign. Yeah, yeah. I had a really good time here. It was snowing, so it was quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, after two weeks, I brought my a bag and I moved mm-hmm. and after that I've been just um, taking portraits. I'm a portrait photographer um, and I do documentary work. I've been working, my last projects have been in Pakistan, I've been there twice mm-hmm. um, and I, I love that country, I think it's amazing and the people are really, really like, great. And then this year I've been to the northernmost town on earth uh, doing yeah, right. a um, documentary series there, which is uh-huh. an ongoing pro- project. Okay. And I've been in the southernmost town on earth, right. um, which I went with my boyfriend, who's a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And we are doing a short documentary um, about the 18 people who live there. All right, 18. Wow. 18. Wow. Quite, quite <laughs> a thing. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, so is um, there a photographic element to that, or is it purely. Uh, well, um, to be honest, when I went to the, the reason why I went to the northernmost town on earth, it was because when I was in Pakistan the first time, I did, when I did the Jamston um, story, I went with a um, writer who's also a really, really good climber okay. and a um, guide specialized in remote places. And he obviously has like a lot of friends who are guides mm. specialized in these sort of places. And he told me about this. Um, place in the north in Svalbard, um, which is part, it's this island which is part of Norway, yeah, yeah. where there's like this really little town that used to, that it's um, owned by, sort of owned by Russia, mm-hmm. and they have um, the exploitation rights to that town. It was a right. mining, coal mining, yeah. it was coal okay. there, um, which now is not fashionable, but before it used to be. Mm. Um, and so they created this during the Cold War, they created this like town that was sort of like window display for like Westerners to see like how like the utopian sort of dream. And that was, um, they had to leave really suddenly uh, when the, um, the UR, USSR um, uh, collapsed. And it was left like that, like a ghost town. So mm-hmm. um, I went there and there I did do photographic work. But in the south, when I went to the south, we didn't have like that much time. So I decided, because I was there with my boyfriend who's a filmmaker, we had to decide whether he was helping me to do a series or I was helping him. Right. And so it was the first time I was, um, well, not the first time I had filmed before, but 
um, I wasn't I'm not experienced at all and I really wanted to learn mm -hmm. so I decided to join him on that adventure right. and so I think we are gonna do this like sort of like um, short like nine minutes ten minutes um, documentary piece on that which is gonna be I will have like some pictures going in there but it's not gonna be like a full project because I I mean you have to choose in life and I chose yeah. to, <laughs> to do yeah. to do that and it was really fun actually mm -hmm. to be able to like use a new media and like actually like, I was quite surprised I, I I like the work I did, which was right. really surprising. And, and what about, uh, so you're saying it's, it's relatively new to you, but have you explored it in your own projects at all, utilizing um, moving image and audio and the likes? Well, it's quite um, interesting because I had never thought about it. But when I, was, when I went back to Pakistan for the second time, doing the story on um, blood money, one of my friends who distributes documentaries, um, film documentaries, he kept on telling me, you know, like you have the access to this amazing story. You really should like, try to film that. But I had never filmed. I had never used like mics, mm -hmm. recorders or anything like that. So like I talked to some like filmmaker friends and they gave me like a, I mean, lesson, imagine like one day <laughs> lesson. And I borrowed their um, recorders and like sort of. So I did film a little bit there. Um, it's quite uh, bad. <laughs> right, <okay. laughs> to be honest but it's true that like I mean I did have the access so like it's interesting in itself uh, yeah. although I have to be honest with myself it's like quite shit quite so weird. it's not in the public domain then it's not in the public domain no <laughs> yeah. it's not gonna be I mean I might use it to get some funds to go back okay um, yeah. and maybe do like a longer I mean a longer do a documentary piece not longer but yeah. just like do a documentary piece with someone like joining with someone who is actually a little bit ex more experienced. Mm -hmm. But it can be used to get funds, I think. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to the Arctic, my um, boyfriend was also filming, so I started helping him with that, yeah. assisting him with like sound and everything. So I did learn quite a lot there. Um, then in, when we went to Chile, to the southernmost town, um, I helped him there too and then at the very beginning of the trip we, we spent a month there and then like I properly like sort of embraced it yeah. and worked with the camera uh, and sound myself there mm -hmm. and the results are quite nice I think it's gonna be quite a nice piece. Mm -hmm. So obviously the fact that you've, you've gained these skills and this experience and stuff and there is a lure to kind of exploring it further and and uh, embracing it a bit more fully. Uh, so is that something that you see happening with your work, that you're going to kind of split the energy between stills and, and multimedia? I mean, I think photography will always be my main thing. I just love it. I'm obsessed with it and it's, it makes me happy. So I think mm. photography is always going to be the first. But I do think that photographers, like, I think photographers know how to frame, know how to work with an image. You know, I think for me the most difficult thing of um, filming is like thinking about like how you create a story so yeah. that it's understandable to the audience, you know? But like, and for me this is like, I don't have this sort of mind because I'm just like, um, I can learn it. But I think um, like framing and like, um, working with people, which I think is what I'm really good at. Mm -hmm. um, in this sense, I could definitely mm -hmm. 
uh, work with it. I mean, I wouldn't like to do it all like myself only. I I, I see filming more of a like, sort of collective sort of yeah. um, thing, and I like that about it. Mm. You know, because photography sometimes can be sort of like I love it, but it can be sort of like lonely. Mm. Um, but then you know the the flip side being that. Yeah, with filming, if you want to do it and have external audio and all the rest of it, then yeah, it is a collaborative experience. But then it means that you are dependent on other people. Whereas photography, you, you can just disappear it. off and yeah. do your own thing and, and not rely on anybody. So you got that freedom. Yeah, you know, which, which I love. So, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's uh, yeah, they've got pros and cons, I think, in terms of... I think, I think combining both would be amazing. Mm. Uh, maybe myself working more on like training, the, like composing the images, like the, the composing the, the, the work like mm -hmm. with the colors, with the people, with the more than like sort of creating the narrative right. sort of thing. Um, but what I want to say though, is that from my trip to Pakistan where I tried to do both, mm -hmm. what I won't do anymore is like trying to do both at the same time because I think it's really overwhelming because like you are taking photographs and you think you are missing like this really amazing action mm. or like you are filming this amazing action and you are like, well, this space is amazing. This person is amazing. Like I just miss this. So like it's like sort of like um, conflict that I don't want to yeah. go through anymore. So right. like if I do it, I would do first one thing and then another thing, yep. but not trying to do it at the same time, because mm. I think for me, at least it's quite overwhelming. Yeah. And, and I suppose it's, it's really about approaching it in a, in a way to just add layers. Hmm. And, and I think, you know, getting them to complement one another rather than that conflict that you might have on the ground when you're actually trying to produce it. Yeah, I think it's, it's good to kind of, as you say, do one first of all and do it well and uh, get what you need and, and um, then add the layers yeah. to it. So then focus on the video and, and audio and, and then hopefully they'll, they'll kind of, be in, when they're interwoven, there's a, there's a yeah. nice solid narrative there and they complement one another yeah. because you, you have focused on one then the other and then stitch them yeah, all together yeah exactly I and i don't know i think one has to be really honest with um you know i have to be honest with myself i'm i'm not good at multitasking <laughs> i am really like um i share this studio with 30 people and like some of them make fun of me because when i'm doing something i just like you know look sort of like crazy like uh -huh. really focused yeah and i think i am like this you know i am like when i do something i do it really well and i don't like get to be like half half mm -hmm. you know so like one thing at a time yeah. <laughs> for me it works better yeah <laughs> well and at least it means that you see it through to the end as well and yeah you, and you can feel confident that you've uh kind of done it to a standard that you're going to be happy yeah. with yeah, yeah. because I, you haven't compromised and yeah yeah the feeling of having something like half done mm. it's i can't i can't handle it it's <laughs> like oh i want to finish and, and so you say, you mentioned that one of the things with the moving image that you're trying to learn is become that storyteller, you know, because it is, you have to develop a narrative and maybe understand that narrative before you start pressing record. Yeah. So the way that you kind of communicate that is that you, that's not how you approach your photography. Is, is that right? That you just kind of go in and, and then capture what you can and then maybe piece it all together afterwards to create some sort of cohesive narrative or... Well, I do think about the stories before. I mean, I think the pre-production um, bit um, 
is really important mm -hmm. and I have to say that for me it's been a change like the first time I went to Pakistan to do the gemstone stories it was like sort of like when I moved to London it was more like I'm gonna do it without really like thinking right. yep. um, I just got the opportunity and took it mm -hmm. and got the flight and just like showed up there without really knowing what is it what was it that I was gonna do mm -hmm. on the blood money story the pre-production was like it took me a year Wow. You know, okay. so like of like contacting people, like getting the access, like really trying to build something that made sense because the story was a lot more complicated. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I'm learning. You know, yeah. I mean, we are always learning, yeah. but I think like the the blood money story really like it did have a sort of like thought process that was quite. Um, long, although like obviously like when you are on the field you can't really like you have to be ready for whatever you can catch yeah. you know because like uh, what happened there also was that like some people had agreed to because it's like sort of like people don't really want to talk about it too mm. much mm -hmm. because it is a practice that they I mean they do practice blood money but it's like not sort of accepted by society although it's a shari it's part of the sharia law mm -hmm. so some people would have like would agree to like be on the camera and be interviewed and everything but then like suddenly they would disappear so like right. your story is always like it's not like a fixed thing yeah. it's like something yeah. that you know although you have you do preparations is you can't control everything no. so you have to uh, you have to adapt and yeah yeah. adapt and try and the narrative sometimes changes mm. you know mm. and also i feel like the point of view when you start a project also as being westerners you know like we have like certain you know like on blood money like we we think oh blood money blah, blah. and then when you actually talk to people you actually understand what is it that what i mean why is it i'm not defending it but why is it that they practice it mm -hmm. and like you might understand a lot more things that at the very beginning you were like, no, 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 you know? Yeah. So the approach changes and the narrative therefore changes too, you know, so. And do you think your, did your work evolve throughout it as well? Because you, Sorry? did your work evolve also, your approach to it? Because of, because of understanding more and more as you kind of explored it and as you kind of uh, built up these relationships with the people that you were documenting? Yeah, I mean, my work, um, yeah, like when I started, um, I had like certain fixed ideas of what was it that I was going to do. And at one mm -hmm. point, we realized, like by talking to people, we realized that we had to talk to other people, meaning like you talk to a Christian and a Christian is going to tell, like, this is a Sharia law, you talk to a Christian and a Christian is going to tell you, no, no, you know, like, this is, I'm not, I'm, I'm not okay with it, although I use it. Right. And then, therefore, you need to talk to, like, a priest or you need to talk to, like, someone who knows about, like, I mean, a Christian priest, I mean. Mm -hmm. And at the very beginning, we thought, okay, we are going to interview these, like, Muslim scholars, you know, and it's going to be all. No, no, you have to interview these people, to, like, the, the Christian priests, too, because, like, this is important to really understand the story. Mm -hmm. well, you, you know, like, so it does change, and it does. And I, it, did, it, it did change the way. It didn't change the way I was shooting it on right. a sort of, like, a surface level. Mm -hmm. 
uh, because I, I think it does have my style. But it did change in on terms of the narrative and like who was it that we were looking forward to talk to. I'm sure by exploring a subject in so much depth and especially such a, an emotive subject, one that, well, where, where people have been murdered and then every, all the dynamics around it, all the, all the pain and, and everything, I'm sure that affects you as well. So like, how did it affect you? How did the story, the exploration of that story affect you? I think it, it changed me quite a lot. It changed my views on things quite a lot because obviously like you think like you, I mean you are obviously a, um, like murder is like a horrible thing and like it shouldn't happen and this obviously it doesn't change but like I remember this one time that Elliot who's the writer who came along um, and me were having dinner with like four murderers right. who confessed having murdered someone and who had been in death row and who had um, be, being freed and suddenly we were with these people and they were telling us like why was I mean why like what was their mind when they did it how did their mind their mind changed um, and you understand a lot more you, you will never defend it because obviously it's a horrible thing that should never happen but you understand that it's not that easy you know like if you come from like a you know a place where you have nothing, where you have no education, where you have nothing to, like, you know, to reflect to, or like you have nothing to... Aspire to? Yeah, yeah aspire to, you know, like you're, you are limited and like mm. the value of life, the value of like, it's like, I'm not saying that um, people who have nothing are, are more um, inclined to do it, but I'm just saying that I understood a little bit more why was it that they did it. Mm -hmm. And you understand also that people can change. You know, like people do change and people do, you know, like I believe in the, the, like the ability of people to change, you know, the capacity of people to change, which before I was a little bit more like, no. This is, you know, like these people shouldn't, like, should be in prison and should not. I mean, obviously, they shouldn't. I'm totally against death, um, death penalty, but mm -hmm. like, um, they should be in prison. They should never be released. And afterwards, you realize, well, you know, it's a bit more complex than that. There are many different. Yeah, you know, things are not black and white. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, which. So can you explain a little uh, as to how For Blood No Money uh, project came about? And because you had a writer on that one as well, a, a journalist, I, yeah. I assume. Yeah. So how did it come about? What exactly were you exploring and why? Well, everything came because, so the first time I went um, to Pakistan to the James stories and the uh, portraits uh, in Pakistan, I spent like um, a whole month in the mountains in Kashmir well, in Pakistan. Um, but then, like, the last two days, we went back to Islamabad to catch our flight, and we met with this, uh, I mean, Simon had been going to Pakistan every summer for four summers, like, three, spending three months there. So he did have, like, um, friends there. And so this friend of his, 
told us, hey, let's go and have dinner, blah, blah, blah. and so suddenly like this, and I'm gonna bring a friend. And so this um, person who she knew was Sarah Valal, who's like um, one of the founders of Justice, Justice Project Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And so we were in the dinner, and suddenly she started talking about like how like she was defending people who were in death row and how she was doing it and like she started talking about blood money which I had never heard of and I thought it was like insane. I was like, are you kidding? Like this exists. Mm. You can pay for your way out. Like wealthy people can pay, poor people can pay. It's just like the, it seemed to me like insane that that existed. Um, and then we left. We, I came back to London but uh, thinking I think I should explore this further mm -hmm. and she was really keen on like helping me out and just like giving me access and introducing me to people who actually could help me out with the project so um, this is how it came I started talking to her she introduced me to Arthur Wilson who is a recon um, he's not a reconciliation officer but he's like um, sort of the person in the middle um, you know who tries to convince um, the family of the culprit and the family of the victim to sort of like pardon each mm -hmm. other. Okay. Sort of, um, he's a Christian, so he really believes in um, the power of forgiveness. And so he has access to all of these people because he's the person in the middle. So I started talking to him. He, at the end he was like, okay, so I, I've talked to all these people and like we started telling him what is it that we were thinking of doing. He was telling us like, you know, like you could do that, that, that. He was like, sort of like, we were learn learning through him and mm -hmm. through Sarah. And then at one point I was like, I need a journalist to come along, you know, because like, this is a story that really needs words. And so I started, because I work for um, weekend magazines here, I, through picture editors, I, I asked them to give me like names of like journalists who I could meet and like see if they were good. I mean, good, not good, but like, you know, like going, people sometimes freak out in these countries yeah. and I didn't want to freak out there. Yeah. So I met up with two different people and at the end, Elliot was the last one and I thought he was amazing for the project. So I told him if he wanted to do it and he was like, yeah, of course, mm -hmm. I think it's amazing. So like, we bought our flights. Yeah, all right. I'm sure that that collaboration is going to be a very positive experience, I assume. Assuming the dynamic between you is, is a good one and help guide the, the story and, and also in, in terms of from the commercial aspect, that ability to then pass it on and try and get it published. Is, is that Well, it's correct? been published, yep. but it was quite difficult to publish it, actually. It was quite right, surprised. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, like I remember one picture editor telling me, you know, like on Sunday, people don't want to open them week a magazine and like just read about like people who are hanged or about to be hanged and I was like well I understand your point but should we just like take colorful portraits and like show it to people I mean I don't know this is a, a really interesting story mm. and it was really difficult to sell it right wow. really really okay. difficult to sell it um, and I we've only sell it to the independent which was quite surprising you mm -hmm. know um, I think it's also like it's quite complex. Yeah. I think maybe like also like picture editors and editors don't have time to really like read the text and if you see only the images you don't get the point. Mm. Um, or you do sort of get the point but you really need to read the text in order yeah. to really understand what is it that we are talking about. Yeah. Um, so it was quite difficult. Mm. 
but it was great with Elliot. Elliot is amazing. Yeah. Like, so it's again like I, we didn't know each other at all. We had met like twice here in London mm -hmm. before going to um, Lahore. So we just like rented an apartment, like right. lived, <laughs> lived for a month for with a with a stranger. Right. Wow. It was really fun. Yeah. And I think we comp we complement each other really well. You mm. know. You went out with Simone. Um, a writer for the Gemstones project. Mm. So was that a similar situation in terms of how that came about? No, it was different. The story, um, so for the Bloodmore, the Bloodmore story came from my side. Mm -hmm. The Gemstone story came from Simone's side. Right, okay. Um, it was quite funny the way it all happened. It was just like hanging out in a pub, sort of tipsy. Uh -huh. One night in Stockton, and suddenly like Simone showed up. <laughs> Like looking like, like really skinny, really tan, you know, like, and I was like, and I was like a little bit tipsy and I looked at him and I was like, you must do something like, like, you must suffer for a living, you know, like, you look like you suffer, you know, like, he looked like a cyclist, like a Tour de France cyclist or like a marathon sort of like guy, you know, like super skinny, you mm -hmm. know, like strong, but skinny, mm -hmm. like super tan. And he was like, well, I just come from China. I've been there for like a month, a month and a half, like guiding uh, one of my clients. Um, and I lo I missed my flight back to Spain. So like, um, and then we started talking. He told me about like, um, uh, we talked about my pictures. He told me about like, um, that he was a writer apart from a guide um, specialized in remote places and that he had been going to Pakistan and he really, the first time he went to Pakistan, he was on a rescue mission mm -hmm. uh, because this Spanish um, climber was stuck in the mountains. Like he, they never yeah. found him, but they wow. sent like a sort like two or three people on a Spanish sort of like rescue team. Yeah. He was one of them and he was applying with the military uh -huh. and he saw all of these um, um, holes in really high up in the mountain and he started asking what was it and the military told him no no these are like mines you know like people mine here mm -hmm. and so he had been, he kept on going to Pakistan and really wanted to do this story but he needed images I think the gemstone story is like a story that maybe a, a lot more simple like yeah. on a sort to understand mm. um, but it, it really like the images really add to the story and so he the day after he was like, hey, if you want, I'm going to Islam, I'm going to Pakistan like in a month, if you want, you can join me. Mm -hmm. And after a week, I had my, my flight to Islamabad. Right. So, awesome. But it came from his side yeah. and he had, the, because he had been there um, climbing. And that part of the wall is quite interesting because it's not like, um, Alpinists really like it because they, it's not mapped right. too well. Right. So like they can create new routes. Um, so some people just go there, like Simon, to like sort of like um, create routes and put it on the map and like sort mm -hmm. of. So mm -hmm. this is what he was doing, okay. and uh, as well as like um, guiding um, tourists. Um, that area is like so beautiful, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, so he had all of the contacts. They were his friends because right. like most of the people there are like high altitude um, porters. Mm -hmm. Um, so he would build a team of like um, porters and who were from the town, um, the, the towns where we were shooting. So he had all of the contacts. They were his friends. So right. it was like full access, yeah. full access. Right. Like, nice. So they treated us like it was amazing. 
they, I remember sleeping in this guy Apo Ali, who's in one of Apo Ali and Hassan, who are um, part of the Balti portraits. Mm -hmm. We slept in their house for like three weeks. They were amazing. Mm -hmm. They introduced us to everybody in the town, you know, brought us to other towns to like meet people. And because we were going with them, it was like, yeah. you can do whatever you want, you can shoot whatever you want, you can ask whatever you want. It's like a pleasure to have this yeah. sort of access. Well, yeah, it's, it's a real privilege to, and in both instances, you know, getting access to somebody who has privileged access, you know, who has yeah. that network already <coughs> established, all those relationships, and then you can just kind of slip in and, yeah, uh, like, and do what you need to do and, and get the images without having to... To uh, like beg for yeah. like trying to... It's, yeah, it's, I think I was really lucky. Mm, mm. So you had all that kind of support there and, and the likes and, and therefore freedom to go out and, and document things as you wanted. You, in, in the Gemstones project um, and to a lesser degree the, the For Blood Nor Money project, you do portraits and then you focus on, on still lifes and, and everything's quite uh, static. Why, why did you choose or what's your motivation for doing you know, static kind of exploration of the subject and not exploring the and documenting the actual activities and the dynamic elements of it? I know, I'm quite, I like to observe and like in a calm way sort of thing and I, mm. I'm really interested in the person right. like and maybe like how they live and how like the place they live or like the surroundings where they live in like might also describe them. I love, don't get me wrong, I love um, more reportage work. Mm -hmm. I, I love it, I enjoy it. Right. But I just, I don't know, it doesn't, I think I'm really, I'm good at looking at people and like sort of like um, calmly trying to portray them, mm -hmm. you know, like more than like just going into action. Just like we did, I mean, it was, we did go, like we were walking for like two days and like climbing, first yeah. time I was climbing um, 4,500 meters at nice. 5,000 um, meter altitude. So we did, um, they did show us all of that. Mm -hmm. But it's true that for the gemstone stories, actually, we went to do a story about mining, but they are not miners really. They right. just do, they are survivors, yeah. you know, like they do what they can. They live in a place that's like surrounded by snow most of the part of the year, which means that actually they mine when they can. Mm -hmm. They are porters when they can. They, they do what they can, right. you know, so they are not, this is not a story about specialized mining because they are not specialized mining. You mm -hmm. should see the ropes where they were climbing, you know, mm -hmm. like to get to the mine. It was like, this rope is going to break, yeah, right. you know? So right. I think maybe the reason why that story is more, I mean, it's like quite sort of static is also this. It's like not, it's not like a big activity in the mm -hmm. mines. It's just right. like, it also is a team of two. Just like put dynamite, they see a pegmatite um, lang, put mm -hmm. dynamite because they know that they are gonna find gems, they might find gems there. Put dynamite, boom, go inside and start like with a hammer, but it's not like sort of like a team, you know, when you see yeah. these massive mines and like it's not that yeah. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's true that my portraits are like quite, uh, they are really static. I don't know, I like to look at people and wait for them to do something that I find interesting, mm -hmm. I find that might, I don't know, represent them, yeah. Okay, and in terms of uh, how that body of work was, was received, you've got it quite extensively published, haven't you? So 
it's uh-huh. uh, it's been better it's received. Why why do you think that is compared to if for blood nor money? I mean, it's a nice story. Mm. It's uh, it's nice and easy, and it's the colors are beautiful. It's not dark, you know. It's like an easy um, story to um, look at and to swallow. Really, you don't have. And also, like, I do feel that, like, when I was, like, really happy, the reason why I was really happy about that first time I went to Pakistan, it was that we were doing something, we were talking about something nice, mm-hmm. and everything that you get from Pakistan is, like, horrible, right? Mm. And everything is, like, killings and, like, women getting treated badly and all of these things, but... That story is a really nice story, and that really, like, I think, for example, um, um, Balti portraits, the portraits from Baltistan, I think you really like the people when you see the images, yeah. you know? They yeah. are like, Pakistanis laughing, they are Pakistanis, mm. like, being funny, yeah. they are, which they are, yeah. you know, like, and, and there are a lot of things like this in Pakistan, but mm. I think everything we get is, like, horrible things about that country, mm. because it, the, they do have horrible, horrible things, but this doesn't mean that they don't have yeah. like the other side. So I no, think like so. it was published a lot more because it's like it's maybe like a view or a way of portraying Pakistanis that's not that usual. Mm. Maybe it's a refreshing look at yeah at a country that gets so much bad press. Yeah, mm. and actually like also I mean we did have the access from the beginning, but whenever we would be introduced to minors and stuff like this, and we would tell them about our project, they were so happy that we weren't there right. to say that oh, you know like we could have talked. The day before I went, I flew to to Skardu, which is the main city in Batist, well, in there, that area. Um, there were this, there was this bus in which like this Shias killed twenty, I this Sunnis killed twenty Shias. So all we get from that area is that you know like the killings between um, these two um, sects, you know. Yeah. But we decided not to do that. Mm-hmm. We decided to do something nice because there are something, there are like nice things there yeah, yeah. too. Of course, yeah. And people were really happy to like give mm. us access because of that reason too. Mm. You know, like, happy story about Pakistan. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. So this, this struggle that you're having to get uh, for Blood No Money published, uh, which is it's an important topic and, and one that needs light shone on it and, and it needs to be discussed and, and the likes. It needs attention. And more <laughs> now, like they, they hanged someone. Like yeah. The moratorium was lifted um, in December after the Taliban attack. Right. And then three days ago, they, they hanged someone, right. you know? It's mm. like, now it's like, I don't get why we are not talking more about that. Well, so what do you, what do you think can be done by yourself, documentary photographers as a whole, in terms of getting that kind of uh, story, greater exposure and, and, a, and accessing a, an audience um, that without being reliant on mainstream media, because if mainstream media rejects it for whatever reason, because they, they've got their own agenda or whatever, and what, do you, what steps do you think documentary photographers can take to then get it out there and get it exposure and get it seen? I don't really know, you know, like I, I, I found it really frustrating, I have to say. I spent like, I spent a whole like two months quite frustrating about it, you know, mm. because I was like, I don't understand it, you know, like I think, I don't know, maybe if the story was like less complicated, it would be easier to publish, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I can make up the story. The story is as complicated as it is. I can yeah. make it up, you know, like so. Um, and I think it also like it's another take on like you know death death row. Like it's not like I'm, we are not showing, you know, typical. I don't think it's the typical approach. It's like um, we are talking about like a solution or not solution. I don't know, mm -hmm. but we are talking about like the conflict between that, but like the possibility to use it in order to avoid people to be hanged. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't really know. Like honestly, like I'm lost with um, with this. I don't. I and I got really frustrated. Yeah, Elliot and sure. I were like quite. We were like, oh my god, we've spent like a month mm. working. Like, like we don't. were working like from like we would wake up at five o'clock in the morning, yeah. and then like go come back home at ten. Then Arthur would stay until two o'clock in the morning. You know, so like, it was hard work. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know. What and of course, all the pre-production as well, all the planning and yeah, stuff, yeah. you know, was, um, on top of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Is I'm it? happy I did it, you know, like, I, I would yeah. do it again. Yeah. Uh, I think probably, maybe we should have talked to um, NGOs a little bit more and try mm. to get them on board, you know. But you, you don't think, you don't think uh, Amnesty or others would be interested in picking it up now, you know, after the fact, after you've completed the body of work but then utilizing it to to try and raise awareness about the issue i don't know i think so the only thing is that also like the way we approached it it wasn't so the ngos are really against it uh, are really against blood money the practice mm -hmm. of blood. and i totally totally understand and i'm with them mm -hmm. because it's a horror it's like unfair on the other hand though because we can't change the i mean i can't change the system this is the only solution right now that is given by, like, legally, the government in Pakistan to avoid hangings. Mm. So I think it's like, and our story talks about this. It doesn't only talk about, you know, blood money being uh, really unfair, which it is, but it also talks about, like, how people actually feel there, you know, and who is against it and who is pro. It's like a sort of, like, a quite neutral sort of, and I don't know if they would like that too much. Mm -hmm. Because I understand, and I understand their point, eh? and I was 100% with them before going, but right now, after having talked to people, I see that there's a little, you know, it's not, it's a horrible practice, but it's a practice they have, and it's the solution they have, We're, like, they are given to avoid a second death. Yeah. Right? But so. then, it, it's something that's more accessible to those with money than with No, art. it's absolutely unfair. No, no, it's, yeah. it's incredible. And also, like, you have to think that Pakistan is, like, really corrupt, you know? Mm. Like, I was reading a study and it was, like, 70% corruption, you know, in the, right. judicial, the judicial system. And poors are poors and wealthy people is wealthy, you know? Like, and you can be wealthy, pay for your way out, yeah. uh, and then, like, kill someone, someone else and mm. pay for your way out. And like this forever, you know. So it's a horrible, horrible. I mean, it's not a. Um, it's like an unfair, absolutely unfair practice. Mm -hmm. But it's the only way that can save someone to be hanged right mm -hmm. now. So. But do you think you think then, had you communicated with the NGOs beforehand, you may have approached the story a bit differently to the way you did. We didn't approach any. We didn't approach anyone actually. No, no because like. I don't know, I, I haven't worked a lot with NGOs, right. um, and I think I should. Mm -hmm. um, and after doing this story, I think I would change things that I did on the pre-production uh, process. Mm -hmm. Like, I would definitely like, contact um, NGOs 
here in the UK because yeah. I did contact NGOs there. But and uh, I, I thought, you know, like I knew that no one, I mean, my contacts are on like the editorial wall. And I knew that no one was going give to me, give me money to go to do this story. Right. Because the amount of money we spent is, although we, we tried to be like super low budget, but you spend money. Mm, yeah. And I knew that no one was going to um, give us that money. So like, we just decided to save money and go mm -hmm. and then sell it. And we thought, we really thought that we were, would sell it a lot more. Yeah. But we didn't. I don't know, maybe it changes. Well, that's the thing. I think that's, that's one of the struggles, isn't it, really, is with that approach of trying to develop a story and, and document a story and then approach uh, the publications and the likes with the story in the hope that they deem it newsworthy. Um, but yeah, it is a bit of a lottery, it seems, that something that you feel is, is a really important, underreported story and needs more attention and, and needs... Uh, to be exposed or should have deserves a, a greater audience and they just think that nah, doesn't doesn't fit our kind of uh, remit and, and the likes we did try to move it a lot at the beginning when mm. we came back and after like mm, five months trying really hard we got really really frustrated and suddenly like the independent with whom I've been working since I moved here I, mo I met up with a picture editor who I know and I showed her the story and she was like, this is amazing, we want it, we are going to run it. And then we just published it, but I think we felt so tired about it, you know, mm -hmm. about just having to like beg for like, to having it published. And yeah. I was like, whatever, if you don't want it, don't want it, you know, like what can I do, really? You yeah. know? Like I'm happy I did it and I think it's a good story. But so you think your experience this time around and, and those struggles that you had to get the work published, you think that'll then change your approach for the next story in terms of the pre-production phase at the very least and, and who you communicate and Yeah, I think I, I should communicate a, a lot more and I should, I mean, I should have, I think the big mistake was that I did a contact NGOs before going to the project mm. because I do think that they would have been inclined to help us out. And at the end of the day, we ended up like meeting them there, you know, like we ended up meeting NGOs there. So like, yeah. if you come from here, it's like, you know, it's better. I think that I would definitely change. I don't think like, I don't think um, editorial uh, people are ever gonna give me money to do such a story because it's expensive. Mm. So I don't care about like spending my money to do something that's worth doing. Right. If I can, and look, this time I haven't, um, get all my money back, but I don't care. I've done something that I really love, mm -hmm. and when I think I've done something that I think is right, I'm happy. And what about maybe uh, trying to get it published yourself via maybe a dedicated website or a book or something, and, and crowdfunding that? Is that something you would ever consider? I would consider it, but I do think that I should go back, you know, in order to do that. I mean, this right. is a month worth of work, but I think. Uh, we need it. The problem also that we had with this story is that things um, extend, like, you know, like, so you are on this reconciliation process for, like, we met this family who had been, like, in a reconciliation uh, process for, like, 22 years. Right. So really, like, in terms of, like, getting everything you need to do a story, you would probably need the end of the story, mm -hmm. right? But it's, like, waiting for it. 
you know, like so waiting if like something happens. Um, so like this, you need more time. Yeah. You know, and therefore you need more money. Mm. And so I, I would consider like, I mean, I've considered a lot of times going back. But I need to have a little bit more fundings because otherwise it's just like... Not sustainable. Yeah. Not sustainable at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean, I don't want to make money out of it. I just want to get my money back. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Not even thinking about like getting a photographer's rate. Yeah. And so in terms of how you survive um, in between exploring these different stories, you do editorial photography. Hmm. How have you kind of established yourself then as a as an editorial photographer and, and somebody that people will go to and um, and thereby sustaining yourself in what is a very expensive and very competitive city? I think I'm really I'm a really lucky lady though. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I don't know. I think I just send my work to all. Um, these picture editors, and I have to say that I did have their contact just because it's quite of a, again, like a lucky sort of thing. But like, before I moved, um, my brother's girlfriend, she had been living here for a while and she had met this photographer, Capes Latiria, who does amazing work, who's English. Um, and before I moved, she told me to contact him Mm -hmm. um, and so I contacted him and I showed him my website and I was like, be really honest, if you think that I can't, and I'm not going to get work, you know, like I'm totally fine with it, but I just want your, he's a really experienced photographer, so mm -hmm. I just wanted to, if you could take a look at my work and tell me if you think I have possibilities, and he was like, yeah, 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 you, you can, you should move, you know, and I think you are going to be able to shoot, and he gave me all of his contacts without knowing me at right. all, wow. like super generous. Yeah. Um, and he's one of my good friends here now. Mm -hmm. He's an, he's amazing, you know, and he's really helped me out always, 100%, like one of these like sort of angels right. that appear in your life and like sort of like help you out all the time. Mm -hmm. He's a little bit older than me, so you know, like he's been like amazing. So, um, I don't know, he gave me this context and I started like, people replied, I think also maybe like people replied because um, I did say, I mean, suddenly you have the contact of this picture editor and, um, and I was saying, you know, like, Capes gave me your, your contacts because it's like, how do you have my contact? And I don't know, I went to the interviews and the people really liked that word that I was telling you about, about the, the young ladies dressed in like um, traditional costumes. Mm -hmm. um, they actually thought that I had dressed them that way. You know, like <laughs> traditions in Spain are quite crazy. So uh -huh. like, <laughs> like, no, no, this is real yeah <laughs> you know i've even dressed them and so they really liked that work and they started giving me jobs like little by little and I, i've been like really i've met with tons of people you know, i've sent lots of emails uh, and i think i'm i'm good in the interviews because i like people you mm -hmm. know like also like uh, yeah, people picture editors that not only want to work with it. there are tons of talented photographers in london yeah. cities like this it's like packed with talented photographers a lot better than me, you know, but people not only want to work with someone who's massively talented, they want to work with someone who's human, someone mm. who's like nice, someone yeah. who's reliable, someone who's, I think I'm, I am reliable and I'm serious with my work and, and passionate and, and passionate dedicated. and they want to work with passionate people yeah. too, you know, so I think that's why I've been getting work and like work calls work and also like by working you develop your style. Yeah. If you had seen my portfolio when I moved here, it was like, 
shaming. You know? <laughs> it's and now gathering dust underneath the bed, is it? Yeah. Well, now I've changed <laughs> it so many times. You know, it's like, oh my god, I can't believe I was showing this. Yeah. But, but it was enough to get you. I think it was because rolling, of the so. series, you know, the mm -hmm. series I did on these yeah. girls. It was like people want to see new things and fresh things. Mm. And when um, picture editors saw those images, they were really like, whoa, and this is real. And mm. you've, and I spent like almost a year, you know, like going back and forth to these um, towns. Um, it's another region in Spain, you mm -hmm. know, like I'm creating this body of work. Mm -hmm. um, and so people liked it. And also, like I made these like small books that I printed myself, oh, you know, okay. and I would give them a copy. Uh -huh. mm. So I think also like maybe like they had it there and they would see it and they would be like, oh, maybe she can do this work, you know. Like so, I think it's also about making yourself like these pe people see lots of work every day. So like yeah. you need to find a way to for that they remember you, mm. right? And, and for you, it was that little book. Sent, for me it, it was that little book and then like going to the interview and really like establishing like not only like talking about me but also like trying to know what they do and what's their background and mm -hmm. what's you know also like you go to interviews and you have the feeling that it's always about you you yeah, you 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 yeah. and you have like someone in front of you who also has you know like no, of course yeah. i mean obviously not showing that you actually care about them and, and they're actually interested in it ultimately just treating them as a human being and, and I suppose, you know, being interested in, in Look, their journey and, and what they're The first about. time, the first time I had an interview here, it was with a picture editor at The Independent. She had already given, uh, at The Independent on Sunday, uh -huh. Hannah Rainsley. She had already given me that job on Monday that I was telling you about. And so I went, she had seen my work, my website, but I went back, I had more work. Um, and so I, I told her, you know, I really want to meet you and I really want to show you more of my work. So I met up with, we met up and we spent like an hour just like talking about like, yeah. she had been in Mexico and I had been like here and there and that. And I did like, we kept on talking, talking, talking. I didn't show you, I left without showing her my portfolio. <laughs> right. And so I was, I left and I was like, oh my God, I came here to show her my portfolio. And she didn't remember about that. I didn't remember about that either. You right. know, like, and yeah. then I sent her an email being like, I'm a little bit ashamed. I've actually come to show you my mother. <laughs> I didn't remember to do it. Yeah. And then obviously like, she saw my work and mm -hmm. everything and I sent her a PDF and everything. But like, you know, I think it's also like, people want to work with people. They don't want to only work with a talent, yeah. I think. And I suppose by trying to create that human relationship and, and void of any sort of sense of desperation, because I suppose that's a part of it as well, is if you go in there with this kind of sense of desperation, then that's going to affect the, the dynamic and, and maybe... Scary, I, think, I think the way I understand it, it's not like, you know, my clients are giving me jobs, but I'm giving them good stuff. Yeah. You know, so it's, I don't think it should be like a sort of like... Mm the relationship shouldn't be like I'm here like in a really low thing and I'm begging you to give me a job it should be like you know you're a person I'm a person mm -hmm. you need pictures I might be able to give it to you you know and you might be able to give me jobs you know like and we are in the same level of like and see how well this work you know like I do think like people shouldn't be desperate mm -hmm. and I suppose valuing your own work and and your capacity as a photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the very beginning, when you start, you can't.
can value your, I mean, when you are fresh from school, you are yeah. like, oh, am I going to be able to do it? But I think then is the moment to really show that you can do it. Mm. You know, that very first shoot or these shoots that you do at the very beginning, like this opportunity is, give, is given to, to you. Mm. So obviously you, you have to work really hard. You have to give them lots of options. You have to, you know, make sure that they get what they want because otherwise they are not going to call you again. Yeah. You know, mm. so I think, I mean, when I was, when I graduated from school, I didn't think I could shoot. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, okay, well, I've been shooting a little bit, but. And do you still feel the pressure when you go on a shoot, when you no. get a commission? No. No, I, I love it now. Yeah. I mean, I think the more you work, the easier it is to just like go into a place mm -hmm. knowing that you have a certain time and just like look and see, mm -hmm. you know, what is it that you want to how is the light really quick mm -hmm. where are the things placed you know and how things can work in a good way to yeah. each other you know like how like the surround I mean my portraiture is like environmental portraiture yeah. so I feel like you know I enter a room and I'm like okay well light is here um, this color she's wearing this this color will work well um, you know, like, and you get, the more you work, the mm. easier it is to, like, get all of these things, like, really fast. Mm. And obviously, the more um, calm you are, like, you, yeah. you know what you are doing yeah. at the end. Yeah, it won't cloud the intuition. And so, I suppose it's, it's about the intuition, but then also the experience kicking in. And, I think so. And refining, refining even further. And, and, and also, like, not to be harsh, because, like, sometimes, I mean, sometimes, you get into places and you're like, whoa, like, this is horrible. Yeah. How am I going to do this? Mm. You know? Or like you have like, you know, like because of the story, you have like certain things and you know you have to do. And then you get a portrait that it's like a little bit like, mm, I don't want my name in there. You know, but like this is like you can, you know, I think you have to be generous to yourself too. And mm. be like, okay, well, I can make great work every day. Mm. But that's fine, you know, like, we have to work a lot in order to make good work. So yeah. I think being generous too and not getting too down when mm. you do work that you are actually like not, you can see yourself there. It's like, okay, well. And in terms of your documentary work, the portraits that you do there, do you approach it in the same way? Do you, do you influence the background in any way? Because obviously you pose them um, to a degree, um, but do you also alter the the scene? In any no, way? I don't alter the, right. the, the things. I mean, I might alter, for example, like, I don't know if I see like a plastic bottle sticking out of your head. <laughs> yeah. With Coca-Cola. Yeah, I don't, I don't want that, no. you know? So like, because obviously like, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm really picky with um, distortion. Right, yep. But really like, like all obsessive. Like, mm -hmm. it's like my boyfriend makes fun of me. Uh -huh. Um, I'm really, really picky with distortion and then I'm really picky with like cropping fit, um, things sticking out of, uh, in the background, yeah. sticking out of your head, mm -hmm. you know, I don't like that. Right, yeah. You know, like, just like pointy things. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, so I might change this. Yeah. Um, but I don't change the way things are, mm. you know. So you take a very considered approach. You're, you obviously do you stick the camera on a tripod and and come from behind the camera and ensure that you can 
kind of engage with the people as well? Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I, 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 I mean, my work, I, I, the environment is really important to define someone, mm. you know, like in the place where someone lives. And I'm not only talking about like an interior, but also like, I don't know, for example, at the, when I did the Balti portraits, you know, like I had the feeling that the people look like their land, mm-hmm. the land, right. you know, I was like, your colors, I would tell Hassan and Abu Ali all the time, your colors are the colors of your land. Mm-hmm. So for me, that obviously, like I want to introduce the land and, and the environment outside, because for me, it's like the same thing. And it's, yeah. it's really like, oh, the way you dress, the way your skin is, the mm. way you like this really like, I don't know, I see like a sort of relationship in like yeah. the place. So, right. I mean, lately I've been shooting with more natural light, mm-hmm. but late, uh, but uh, normally what I really love to do is just like use the flash, even if it's outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, you get like this really weird um, sort of surreal look, yeah. like, you know, when you put a flash and then like the environment is like, in Balti Portrait, there are like a few shots like this yeah. outside that yeah. are like, is this real? Is it the backdrop? Mm. It's because I use a flash. Yeah. So um, I don't use um, a tripod a lot. I mean, lately I've been doing it for my editorial work. Mm-hmm. But when you put a flash somewhere, all the colors shout. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Right. So you're constantly trying to refine how you take portraits yeah. and, and explore different different ways of doing it. I like to learn, you know, I like to, like you go on an adventure physically, but it's also like you go on an adventure of like learning, you Mm. know, like otherwise it's really boring. Like if I spend like 30 years doing the same sort of shots, it's going to be really boring. I'm going to get really, really bored and everybody's going to get bored with my pictures. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, she's doing it again. You know, I mean, this being said, obviously, like you have a style that you can really like escape from, but because this is what you like, but mm-hmm. trying new things, I think it's fun, you yeah. know, and sometimes you like it and sometimes you don't. If you don't, you just don't do it again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Yeah, I know. Okay. So um, we should maybe wrap up there. Okay. Uh, where can people find you and your work? Um, people can find my work in my website. Mm-hmm. Um, it's www. Dot. <laughs> I feel I'm doing an ad. A n n a h u i x. dot com. There are some blogs that I mean, not a lot, but some blogs have featured my work. Uh-huh. Um, you can see them, that work of the um, traditional, like the girls in traditional costumes. That um, it's nice that. It's nice that, yeah. Okay. Um, and then um, the gemstones um, and the Baltic portraits have been pub- like have been posted in like different blogs. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Are you on Twitter and Facebook? I'm twi- I'm on Twitter. I'm very bad at Twitter, though I have to recognize. I know it's horrible, but uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, I know wish. Yeah. I'm really bad at it, though. I have to get better. I'm quite bad at social media. Yesterday I was talking with a friend with about it. Uh-huh. I'm really bad. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's a challenge to integrate it into your everyday life. It's really life difficult to be able to do everything. Yeah. But I have to get better. I have to learn yeah. on that too. Oh yeah, I think the key thing to making it work is really being social on it. And I'm not very good at that. I prefer face-to-face. I'm, I think I'm sometimes it's really a bit narcissistic. 
Me, 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 and what I do, and yeah. how amazing I am, and I feel mm. like I'll be talk court. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much okay. for your time. Thanks Cheers. so much. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the interview and gained some inspiration and ideas as to how to approach your own projects. And once again, you can see Anna's work on her site, annauish.com. That's A-N-N-A-H-U-I-X.com. And show notes can be found at documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash interviews and then navigate to Anna's podcast page. If you enjoyed this interview or any others, then please leave a review and rating on iTunes. This will help the podcast gain exposure and therefore the work of the photographers I've interviewed. If you'd like to make any comments or suggestions about the podcast or the website, then please get in touch with me via chris at documentaryphotoreview.com. And that's true if you would like to have your work showcased on the site, just get in touch via email or submit it directly via the site. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening. And make sure you subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher to get the next episode of the podcast straight to your device. Due out on the 15th of July when I'll be speaking to Freya Nayada. Until then, take care.